The Greatest Revival Ever. This is part five, Walking with Jesus. The foundational scripture for this whole series is Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's actually the whole of Mark chapter one from which we get these different steps, stages or parts of this great revival, which is seen through Jesus' visitation. The foundational scripture for part five is found in Mark chapter one, verses 16 to 20. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Let's pray. Father, we pray today as we open your word, as we devote our time to the word of God today, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, give us revelation from heaven about Jesus, about the word of God, and about what you've put here for us for all eternity, the picture of the greatest revival ever, and that we would see not only what's here, but how it applies to our lives. And Father, today we're here to find the grace we need to help us apply this and to live it and to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's not wise to be a hearer only. The Bible talks about being not only a hearer, but a doer of the word of God. So this is about walking with Jesus. Walking is progressing. It's step by step. It's moving. And we know Paul told us to walk in the spirit. It's walking with Jesus. With means not only going where he goes, but going with him as a companion. And when we have him as a companion, we're talking about Jesus who is Lord, he is the master of the apprentice, he's the trainer of the student, he's the boss, and he is God, because Lord means boss. So this is not just about being a paper disciple. It's not just about book learning only. Book learning is very important, but it's a lot more than that. So we're going to read Matthew's account of what happened to somebody who volunteered to be a disciple. Now in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to 20, then 23 to 27, then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will. That's a dangerous phrase. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now remember, this man was a scribe. Scribe means someone who did writing. He was the clergy or the clerk or the cleric. His job was to sit with books. So he probably had a nice room set up or a nice desk near the window for some natural light like we have behind us here. Probably had his desk in place, a coffee place here, a place over there for all his pens or quills. 
and he would sit there in his desk, make sure he was propped up correctly, adjust his vision for long distance every now and then, have the candles or whatever he needed over his books. And he had a nice little nest. Amen. He had a little hole, a cave for him to get into. But to follow Jesus like he wanted to, Jesus is telling him it's going to take a lot more than that. And we see this applied straight away. A couple of verses after he spoke to a few other people about discipleship, we get to verse 23, and he got into a boat. Amen. So following Jesus is not just about book learning only. It's about getting into a boat. And the boat didn't just have Jesus and him in it. The boat has 12 other people in it as well. All disciples, all trying to follow Jesus, all experts in boating and fishing. Can you imagine what it would have been like in that boat? So it says in verse 23, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. Now when we're all in the same boat, which we are in church life, we're all in the same boat, we're out of our own comfort zone. You've got to get in a small boat with other people. It only takes one to rock the whole boat. And you can imagine there would have been a bit of tussling going on. I want to sit in the front. No, I sit in the front. Peter might have said, this is my boat. I'm sitting in the front. And they could have been arguing about this, jostling for position, fighting. Then someone wanted to move. And then things would happen. A whole lot of young men together. It wasn't comfortable. It was dangerous. And then to make matters worse, they encountered a storm. Now, this is being a disciple of Jesus. This is really walking with Jesus. So the scribe would have had to leave his nest, his hole, his cave, and actually get into a boat as well as do book learning. And we all have to learn that. It's not just a matter of sitting in front of a screen, sitting in a church, listening to somebody else, or listening to great descriptions of Jesus' life, we need to know what it is to walk with Jesus as his apprentice, as his disciple, and follow him. Amen. So today we're talking about how to see the great revival here now. In other words, it's about a visitation of Jesus like those boys had. It's a visitation of Jesus in your world, in your church, in your family, in your business place, in the place of your education, on your farm, wherever you invest your time. Maybe you're a homemaker and it's about Jesus visiting your family. It's about Jesus. And we know he's going to concentrate a lot of this on the church and on his people initially. Then it's going to spread out and touch many people. Part one, as we've worked our way through Mark chapter one, was warning a prophetic preparation and we've living now in a time where the prophets are at the fore they're the ones crying in the wilderness make his path straight get ready because the revival is coming the kingdom of god is at hand then we see jesus coming for baptism which speaks of his devotion to his father his willingness to surrender which we would see as worship in spirit and in truth, remember, worship means to fall down in reverence and submission. And worship in spirit is when the inner man falls down before God. Part three was warfare against the real culprit. So after Jesus' worship, heaven was open, the spirit like a dove descended on him, and the spirit led him, or Mark says, drove him into the wilderness to be tested or tempted 
by the devil. And after those 40 days of fasting and warfare, he had to face down the devil himself. And at the end of that, the devil left him for a more opportune time, which of course came back at the cross. And Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power and became, as part four says, a witness to the truth. So today we're talking about part five, which happens after that in Mark's sequence, which we read about was where Jesus called disciples, started to make disciples, and their response was to immediately leave their nets, leave their boat and follow him. And thus they started walking with Jesus. Amen. Again, today's theme, how do we see the great revival here now? Part five today, walking with Jesus. I'm going to read Matthew's account. This is Matthew 4, 18 to 22. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, throwing a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come on, follow me, and I will make you competent at fishing for men. Immediately, they left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending the nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I often wonder how he felt about it, that is Zebedee. So Jesus' call obviously eclipsed everything else. And I believe as we look at this passage and other issues that surround it and as it's expanded in other places in the Bible and we give our attention, we're going to see how this fits in to this theme. We're going to see exactly how it worked in the visitation of Jesus and how it went on from there as he multiplied his ministry through his 12 apprentices. But we'll also see how to apply it. So I want to encourage, give yourself over to this and be ready to receive. On part five, walking with Jesus. So after heeding the prophetic word, surrendering and worship to Father's will, after overcoming the enemy in your wilderness when you stare down your own demons, after returning in power, and after becoming a witness to Jesus and his truth, start walking with Jesus. Point number one today is become Jesus' apprentice. Number two, become a living word student. And number three, become a disciple maker yourself. So number one, become Jesus' apprentice. Walking with him, yoked to him in close submitted fellowship and discipleship. Now, we're not talking about how much he loved these disciples today, but we cannot go further without mentioning it. Because at the end of his discipleship season, the Holy Spirit summed it up when he said, and having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Love is always the overarching principle under which all of this happens. And there was genuine love from Jesus for his followers, his disciples, but that didn't stop him correcting them, shaping them, changing them and developing them to be all that they could be in God. This is what perfect love does. Amen. So let's read it again. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, 
throwing a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So they're fishing with nets. And he said to them, Come on, follow me, and I will make you competent at fishing for men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So the first sub-point here is, A, they were busy, productive people. That's who Jesus called. He didn't call the idle. He didn't call those with plenty of time on their hands. He called busy fishermen in gainful employment. Now, you might be in a situation in your life where you're retired or you can't work or you're a shut-in, but maybe you are working at the moment. Maybe you have full-time work and you contemplate full-time ministry. I know I'm speaking to someone right now. You've contemplated full-time ministry and you don't see how you could do it because you really need your job, you need the income, you've got to provide for your family or meet your needs. But God is saying to you today, I am bigger than that. And we can see from this scripture that Jesus' call was far greater than this. We know Peter had a wife because they spoke to Peter's mother-in-law. Amen. In the same chapter. We know that James and John were in a family business with their father because they left him in the boat. He was probably hoping that, well, if this doesn't work out, that James takes on the business, I've got John. And if John doesn't take it, I've got James. But both of them walked off to follow the call of God. That's hard on a father, amen? But Jesus' call comes first. And when we stand before him, because we all have to give an account for the things done in the body, we will have to give an account for what he has said to us. And if he says to us, follow me, be like Matthew, Levi, says he just arose, left everything and followed. He was gainfully employed too, very gainfully. He was a tax collector. So let's be like these disciples who immediately left everything to follow Jesus. So point B, the Lord Jesus Christ offered them a learning contract. I love this because I was a trainer. I was the principal of a college. And in that college, I had to interview the students before they started, gave them the whole list of things, which I'm sure they weren't interested in, gave them a great big thick student manual. But I had to explain to them, we have a learning contract. If you pay the fees and if you turn up in the class, we will do everything we can, everything that's necessary for you to become competent. We will even set assessment tasks. And when you put them in, we will assess them and do everything we can to get you to competence. But we cannot make you competent. That's what's so amazing about this verse to me. Jesus gave them one condition. Follow me. Walk with me, be yoked to me, and I will make you competent. This is something we could never have promised. But Jesus can promise it to you. If you trust me with your life, I will make you competent at what I've called and gifted you to be and do at any stage of your life. And remember, that anointing can change from season to season in different parts of your life. Jesus will make you competent at what he's called you to be and do in this next season. So put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. 
walk with him, focus on him, and you will be made competent. Now, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus explained this more clearly as he went. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven, in the Passion Translation, you have entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. No one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. Very important that. Now I'm going to read this again, starting from verse 27 and continue on back in the New King James. Now all things have been delivered to be my, my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. This is about revelation. Jesus can reveal the Father to you, and He will, but He goes on in the next verse and gives conditions, or He gives the strategy, or he gives the way you do this, the process. Verse 28, come to me. You know, the son can reveal the father. So come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden. They don't have a revelation of the father's love and what he's really like. And I will give you rest. That's a revelation of the father. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. This is something we have to understand. Jesus has a yoke. That's how we learn from him. It's like in the old days when they used to plow with two oxen or a yoke of oxen, as they'd call it, the experienced animal. They put the yoke across its neck onto the inexperienced animal. And as they were doing the work, the inexperienced one was learning from the experienced one. Now, it's interesting. Jesus did take his disciples aside and give them some classroom teaching. That's found in Matthews chapter 5, 6 and 7. And other places, Jesus taught them on the roadside, just like an apprentice chef has to go off to the classroom for instruction at times. We all have to have some instruction. But I don't see two bullocks out in the field plowing a paddock and the new one doesn't get it right and they stop everything and the old bullock takes him aside, sits him down and get out a pen and paper and explains and draws a few diagrams. When you get to the end of the row, you've got to turn around and go back the other way. <laughs> he has to learn by doing it. And this is part of discipleship that goes beyond book learning. It's not just a paper apprenticeship. It's on the job training. And we do this when Jesus says, follow me, by being yoked to him, it's an inner relationship that begins when we repent and get born again. When you repent and you have to throw yourself completely on his mercy for forgiveness as when you start the kind of relationship we're talking about. If you're still living by pride and you say, oh, I'm perfect, I don't need to repent, I'm still fine, I'm holy, everything's good then you don't have that kind of relationship where you lean the whole of your being on Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, 
I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's saying he's not proud, he's humble, he's gentle. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. The only way to know God is if Jesus reveals him. Jesus then said he would do this if we take his yoke upon us, become a fully submitted trainee or apprentice. Amen. I keep using the word apprentice because that's both some classroom learning and a lot of on the job training. Amen. The Passion Translation of this says, come and follow me and I'll transform you into men who catch people for God. I remember talking to a street kid once who had grown up in Sunday school and she goes, oh, I remember one song we used to sing, Fishes of Men, and she started singing this old song. And I said, what does it mean? She goes, I don't know. That's just what we sang. And so if I say, Jesus said, I'll make you fishes of men, even when I was a kid, I thought, well, what, are we going to grow fins and a tail and have scales and be better at swimming underwater? What does it mean, fishes of men? So this one explains it. I'll transform you into men who can catch people for God. The fourth sub-point is that they responded immediately. Notice that? Come on, follow me. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Matthew 4.22, immediately, speaking of James and John, they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Elijah threw the mantle over Elisha in the Old Testament, he didn't finish the day plowing. Immediately he sacrificed the oxen, he burned up his plow, and then he dropped everything and went off to follow Jesus. You could say that Elisha immediately burned his bridges and followed Elijah. Because remember, Jesus said in the New Testament, if you put your hand on the plow and even look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. So it's an all or nothing. Respond to the call of Jesus. Don't let your life go. Rosanna and I were gainfully employed in our music and entertainment business. But to follow Jesus cost us that work. But we were glad to lay it down, live by faith, and Jesus returned back to us far more than we gave up. And we had to give up not just our work, but he said to give away your equipment. This wasn't easy, but he has multiplied it back to us over and over again. He is a good God. He is a God of love. He is humble and he's lowly and he will do more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that's working you. If you respond to his call, follow me, not only will he make you competent, but he will multiply everything you sow for him. If you try to hold it, you could lose it in the shaking and the squeezing and the quaking that's going on. But if you sow it, it will multiply back. Amen. So the illustration is also found in John chapter 12 with the Greeks who came wanting to see Jesus. They said to Philip, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus' response was astounding. He didn't say to Philip, can you let them know I'm busy at the moment? I'll see them later or please forgive me, I, I can't do it right now. Or, I'm going to die on the cross or whatever. He didn't say that. He seems to change the topic, but it's not because these were Gentiles and they were tugging on his heart. We want Jesus. If he had have gone to them before the cross, 
All they could have done was look at him physically. They could have interviewed him. They could have asked him some questions. They could have said, you know, if God is so good, why is there suffering? They could have done any of those things and it just would have been an intellectual, physical, mental process and never have saved them or changed their lives. So Jesus responds like this. He said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant will be there also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. The Lord's response indicated that if this is what they or any of us really want, we'll have to serve him. To get to know him, to understand him, we have to serve him. You see, Jesus understands God, but he's not making him available unless we come and take his yoke upon us because it's a transfer of anointing. The second illustration goes back to Elisha and Elijah. Elijah walked past and threw his mantle on him, but the exchange didn't take place then. It was a prophetic action of what God was going to do in the spirit. God was going to take the mantle that was on Elijah's life spiritually and transfer it to Elisha. Now we know that Elisha didn't keep the mantle at that point because when Elijah went up in the whirlwind, then the mantle fell down to Elisha. That's when Elisha took it completely. But in between, there was a period of overlap, like the runners in a relay, where one is running and he gets ready to pass the baton to the other one in the overlap section. And so this transfer took place between Elijah and Elisha during the time that Elisha served him. And we see this in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, where King Jehoshaphat was with the king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat asked him, have you got a prophet here that can give us a word from God? And he goes, oh, I've got a stack of prophets. And he goes, but are there any prophets of the Lord? I'm reading here from 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat's here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was serving as a menial servant, getting him a cup of coffee, washing his feet or his hands, amen, washing his car when it needed washed, coming in and mowing the lawn at the church, doing the menial things. So King Jehoshaphat said straight away, the word of the Lord is with him. So he knew that if he was there as the servant of the prophet, what was on the prophet would come on him. And in one part of our ministry history, Rosanna and I were running a church in St. Kilda for about eight years, as well as doing lots of outreaches and schools and all the things I keep talking about. And then we were called to go to the big church in Dandenong and work with the state president of the Assemblies of God, which became the Australian Christian Churches. When we got there, I knew that in an overlap period that a transfer of anointing can take place. So every time I got access to him, I listened. Whenever there was any issue, he would say to me, Dave, I've got a problem. I said, what is it? He would tell me and I'd say, 
What do you want me to do? I didn't argue with him. I didn't fight him. I didn't put up any other ideas. So I sat right next to him in every staff meeting so that I'd be close enough because I was there symbolically to get what was on his life transferring to me in that overlap period. I went on to do teaching at a Bible college and was the principal, as I mentioned before. And then we started our itinerant ministry. God is good. He's leading us and he always provides. Amen. So when you serve the ministry that God has put in your life, don't look at the person. Amen. Listen to the word of God and look at the anointing. Another illustration of this is David. When he first came in to serve Saul, Saul's anointing was getting ready to transfer to him. But Saul tried to kill him. But David stayed in submission, except he did run for his life. As long as he could and as much as he could, he didn't do anything against the king. And when the king died, the anointing of kingly leadership came on David and he was able to succeed in a way that Saul never could because Saul didn't submit to the anointing when it was on someone else. Amen. Remember, God is always the hero. The anointing is the hero in this. He's the spirit of God who rests on us. Don't look at the person. Listen for the living word of God and honor the anointing because as you serve that anointing, you will be ready to serve it when it's on you if you can serve it when it's on someone else. A very, very important principle to learn. Amen. So what can we see about the great revival here now? We're talking about walking with Jesus. So number one, become Jesus' apprentice, walking with him, yoked to him in close submitted fellowship and discipleship, become his apprentice, sit with the Bible, do it regularly. Goodness, I'm a student. I love learning off the book and out of books and on the computer. But we need also to walk with Jesus in our family, at our workplace, in our education, with our spouse. We need to walk with Jesus when we're out amongst the crowd, when we're doing an outreach, no matter where we are. Because remember, Rosanna and I have a saying, someone's always watching. And if it's not somebody who knows who you are physically, it's certainly angels and the Holy Spirit. And we have to give an account for our words and for our actions. Someone's always watching. So remember, you've got to keep in step with Jesus by walking in the spirit, living by faith, being fervent in love, laying your life down, denying self all the time. Amen. Number two today, become a living word student, walking with Jesus in his word. See, this is also very important. I've got this scripture here for this, which is John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. If you abide in me, he said in one place, and my word abides in you, you are my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
We need to be in the Word of God. And I've been saying this for 10 years or more. We need to eat the Word, sleep the Word, think the Word, say the Word, preach the Word, pray the Word, study the Word, analyze the Word, memorize the Word. You can sing it, shout it, say it and pray it. There's lots of ways to declare it, but we need to walk in the truth of the Word. We need to live the Word. And like I said, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the Word of God, so that as we receive revelation, not only does that Word come and test us, but we need to apply that Word as we go. We need to apply it. So every time we're worshipping now, we need to be yielding and surrendering. We need to be fighting off devils with the Word of God. We need to be giving witness. And now we need to be walking with Him all the time as diligent apprentices not nine to five only amen not sunday morning 10 a.m till midday but 24 7 living in tight relationship in lockstep with jesus yoke to him remember his yoke is easy his burden is light if you're carrying something that's not easy and it's not light it's not from jesus he does have a yoke he does have a burden But like he said, it's light and easy. Amen. And that's not a slogan for a company. It's from the Bible. So an illustration of this is when Paul first met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He went into Damascus and then he went into the wilderness of Arabia because Paul was a Pharisee. He would have known that Bible, the Old Testament, back to front. Probably as he was a child growing, he could probably quote huge sections of it knew it all, and he was a bit of a student because I remember he wrote to one of his disciples later and said, bring the parchments. He was out there in Arabia with God receiving revelation. He was a book learner, but he was an applier of the word as well. Amen. He was a practitioner, not a theorist only. Amen. And so after he'd been out there, he came back, he did some things, and he says, after three years, I went to Jerusalem. From my reading, he was there for quite a while and he gave himself over, a bit like going to Bible college. So how can we see the great revival here now? We need to become Jesus' apprentices. And number two, we need to become a living word student. You know, study the word till it comes alive in you and let it overflow into others. And number three, become a disciple maker, walking with Jesus by imitating his apprenticeship model. So in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in both heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. In Greek, it's be a teacher, teach all the nations. So making a disciple and teaching them. But remember, it's not just book learning. It's being yoked. It's on the job training, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We have to show people the commands of Jesus and not legalisms. That's a living person giving us instructions. And we need to follow him by doing what he says and going where he goes. Amen. And he says, 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So sub-point A here is Jesus' graduating apostles themselves took on apprentices. We see this in Acts 2.42, then 46 to 47, in obedience to Jesus' command here. So Acts 2.42 starts like this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. How did they know what the apostles' doctrine was? The apostles were teaching it to them, but they were in fellowship together. You know, it's this, come follow me, take my yoke, be with me. We see more discipleship in Acts chapter 6, where the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem because they gave each of them a responsibility. So they became seven deacons who were responsible to serve tables. There's that serving again. If you serve me, Jesus said, if you serve me and if you take up my word. And so they were serving Jesus by doing the jobs apportioned to them as confirmed by the apostles. They were serving tables a bit like Elisha pouring water on the hands of Elijah. And as they were serving, an anointing kept coming on them because they're serving the apostles and they're serving the Lord Jesus. And suddenly it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Amen. Subpoint B, Paul took on Timothy as a disciple. Acts 16, 1 to 5 reveals this. Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren. So in other words, he had character that people could testify to. He was a genuine. Verse 3 says, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. In other words, Paul saying to Timothy, come on, follow me, walk with me, come with me. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews of that region, for they knew his father was a Greek. And they together went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles. So there's a chain of command. Jesus gave decrees to the apostles, Paul took that. He went and started to give that out. Timothy was with him, learning as they went. Later, he wrote to Timothy and said, To Timothy, a true son in the faith. 2 Timothy, to Timothy, a beloved son. So I know we're not supposed to call any man father, but Paul said, I became a father in the spirit because I taught you my values, my way of life. I opened my heart like Jesus with his father. The father revealed things. Paul revealed things to Timothy about ministry, about walking with Jesus so that Timothy was able to learn. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, we see that Paul sent another of his disciples called Titus. Listen to what he says about him. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Rhetorical question. Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Paul could say this about Titus because he knew that there'd been a successful transfer of not only the anointing to do the ministry, but the heart, the character, the values, and the personality of Jesus in him 
so that when Titus went there, Paul knew exactly how he would behave himself. And so he sent him as a representative of himself. And remember, Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. So sometimes leadership is used in bringing us into the image of Jesus. Otherwise, Paul couldn't have said that. Paul would have said, don't look at me. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm in the background. He said, you imitate me as I imitate Jesus. So we must all understand this. Disciples, teachers, trainers and leaders have been put into the body of Christ. You know, some apostles and prophets, some evangelists and pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do what they need to do. Amen. Subpoint D, we're talking about an application of this, which is discipleship slash apprenticeship now. And we need to use Jesus' method. And his method went like this. And remember, I've got a nine book series on exactly this. It's the big title is Lead. And it goes through the whole of the book of Matthew with bits and pieces from the other Gospels. The whole of the Gospels showing Jesus as a trainer of apprentices. And I thoroughly recommend it to you. You can find it on online sellers. The best one for my sake is Lulu. Jesus' method, you watch me. Number two, we do it together. Number three, I watch you. When I assess that you are competent, I release you to Jesus' call and you walk with Jesus as Lord. But remember, Paul never stopped giving advice to Timothy. Amen. So think like someone training somebody else how to bake a cake or how to do some work in the garage if it's a man with his son or something like that. So a woman might say to her daughter, right, this is how you do this. You know, it can be a father training a daughter in the garage and a mother training a son or not being gender specific. But you watch me. You know, when I was a little boy, I used to watch my mum all the time. She used to cook tea. And one night, mum and dad weren't home. And I just said, how hard can it be? I've watched this a few times. And I just went ahead and did what she did. Amen. She'd trained me without actually training me. But when I worked with my father, I learned how to milk a cow by milking a cow with him. He showed me how you do it, especially milking by hand. That's not easy. He'd show you how to do it. You try it, doesn't work. He explained it a bit more. He tried again. But there was that hands-on learning as we went. And then he trained me how to work with a cattle dog. And that was one of the greatest lessons of my life because I thought it was about wielding authority and commanding the dog to do things. But he showed me, you've got to get the dog to think it's having fun. And he showed me how to do it. I was too proud to do it straight away, but I had to humble myself and learn to do what he did. And then the dog would round up the cows because it thought it was having fun. It didn't think it was getting told off for doing something naughty. Amen. So we need to do that. You watch me. We do it together. I watch you. When I assess that you're competent, I release you. And then we can both train somebody else. Amen. I need to ask you some questions. Have you already taken on the yoke of Jesus? Have you taken up the call to learn from the word of God and to live what you're learning? And have you also so full of the word of God that you can't help but to disciple others because it just overflows. Amen. And of course, mixed into that is when you're taking the word of God, you've got to exercise your faith, live by love, deal with things, 
sort things out. Amen. So in conclusion, how do we see the great revival here now? We've been talking about walking with Jesus, which is discipleship, apprenticeship. It's a love relationship. It's following Jesus and it's worshipping him and his father all the time. So after heeding the prophetic warning, surrendering in worship to father's will, overcoming the enemy in your wilderness, returning in power, and after beginning to be a witness, number one, become Jesus' apprentice, walking with him, yoked to him in close, submitted fellowship and discipleship. There's a lot of love there, but there's also a learning and a correcting that needs to take place. Number two, become a living word student, not a dry, lifeless word, because remember Paul said, the letter can kill, but the spirit gives life. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So it's walking with Jesus in his word, being submitted to that word as you read it. And number three, become a disciple maker, walking with Jesus by imitating his apprenticeship model. He will apprentice you in how to be the perfect trainer for those that are coming to you for apprenticeship. Amen. And gradually you shift that umbilical cord from yourself to them until they can walk under his anointing. You'll always be there like a parent in the background when they need help and are open to it. You can give help. But there comes a day when you release your disciples to do what God's calling them to do. Amen. So put on the yoke today. Dedicate to growing in the word till it comes alive in you. Believe that God will bring someone for you to give overflow to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of the viewers today that you would do exactly this for them. That as they learn, that you would give them someone to release what they're learning today on someone else. That they can talk to someone, write it down, talk on the phone, visit with someone, have a group, whatever stage they're at, wherever they are, that someone will come to mind right now and they'll say, I know that this person really needs to hear this. Amen. Now, before we conclude, I've got to ask another question. Have you yet given your life to Jesus? This comes first. We call it getting saved. Simply because Jesus said, if you give your life over to him, he can rescue you from a certain destiny in a very hot place called hell. H-E double hockey sticks. Hell is real. It's no joke. Jesus spoke about it and it's called being born again. And it's the first step of coming into relationship with Jesus. And remember, Jesus was the one who came up with the phrase born again. It is a very Jesus concept. Today, I encourage you, if you haven't been born again, you might say, I'm not sure. That's like me asking you, have you been married? If you're not sure if you've been married, then obviously you haven't. So if you're not sure, you need to say this prayer. And if you know you haven't been born again, I'm going to lead the prayer right now that can start you on your journey. It's a prayer of accepting Jesus as Lord, turning from your old life, believing that God raised him from the dead and by the grace of God committing to follow him. So pray this after me. Say this, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
I believe you rose from the dead. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my old life. I let go of sin and my old nature. Please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Today, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Saviour. I confess that you are my Lord. And by the grace of God, I commit to following you as my good shepherd from this day forward. Now I believe I'm born again. The old has passed away. I am now a new creation. And my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. I am Jesus' disciple. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, well done. You prayed that prayer today. I believe you're born again. And you need to start talking about it. Get Jesus' word in. Talk about it. If you've got no one to tell, write to us in the comments section or write to us on Facebook or Messenger. Tell us what has happened and we will pray for you and do our best to keep in touch. God bless you.